0: Good morning and welcome to the service. So during the month of May, we are focusing on the feasts um, of the Old Testament. And Amu and Langa, for two Sundays, have given us some background on the feasts. And this Sunday, I would like to concentrate on one feast. And this feast involves no banquets and no festivities. The name of the feast is Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement which is said to be the holiest feast. And today you are invited to open your heart again to the presence of the Lord and just to fall fall back in love again with him and with your neighbor. So from my own life, just the story, years ago, it's around about 20 years ago, I've studied the feasts and then I started to do my own Yom Kippur every year. And since then I realized that this is not only an annual feast, I've incorporated it into my quiet times as well. And almost every day I have my small little Yom Kippur every day as part of my quiet time. Yom Kippur this year starts on sunset on the 24th of September until nightfall on the 25th of September. So these are the dates. But let's look at what Yom Kippur really is. So the Lord has given us this feast in Leviticus 16. And he said it should be a Sabbath of solemn rest, a statue forever. It's also called the day of awe. It's a day of reverence to the Lord. So the meaning of the word in Hebrew is yom, is day, and kapur is atonement. It comes from the root word kafar. And this is an amazing word. The depth of this word um, is actually something that takes my breath away because it means quite a lot of things. So the word means covering, but it also means ransom and payment and cleansing and forgiveness and also pardon and cancel. So the the, the word means that The Lord actually protects us, he makes a covering, he cleanses us, he pays for our sins, and then he sends it away. This is the full meaning of this word. So the Hebrew word for the mercy seat in the tabernacle, that covering, is also the root word for atonement. So that covering of the Lord, that seal actually, over the holiest place in the tabernacle, That is actually the root word for atonement. So we would think that this word is first used in Leviticus, but it isn't. So the first time that this word was used was actually in Genesis as part of Noah's ark. So the Lord said to Noah in Genesis 6, he said, Make for yourself an ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. And the word there is kafar. So already then the Lord said, I would like to rescue you. All of this wood would not be able to take the water and not sink. You will sink and die. And therefore he said, I would like to make atonement for you so that you don't sink and die. And this is exactly what he did with Yom Kippur and what he's doing every day for us as well. So Yom Kippur is then actually God's plan. It's his initiative to rescue us. And I want to share with you from Leviticus 16. I have included the scripture because it's quite a lot of scripture. And if you have time just to read this amazing story, it's in Leviticus 16 and 23. And it says in verse 27, Also the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy assembly and you shall afflict yourselves by fasting in penitence and humility and present an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall not do work on this day for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord, Lord your God. And then he said it's a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now, the word penitence, I had to look up in the dictionary, and it says exactly this. It's sorrow, it's regret, and it's repentance. So in the Old Testament, the Lord gave us a specific um, message of how how this feast should be celebrated. So in Leviticus 16, the priest was required to offer a sacrifice. So there were two goats. The one was a sacrifice, it was a burnt offering, and the other one was where the goat was released into the desert. And the whole idea was this, to restore the relationship between him and his people. And then Jesus came, and that is in Hebrew 9 and 10. And Jesus actually then became the sacrifice for all of us, and he paid through his own blood. And it was exactly the same purpose, to reconcile us. He became our Redeemer, to reconcile us with Jesus. So let's look at the first time that the Lord installed this feast. It is in Leviticus 16, verse 7, 9, and 10 in the Amplified Bible, are the ones that I'm going to share with you. So the Lord said to Aaron, You shall cast lots on the two goats, One lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. You will see there are two goats on the picture. And Azazel in the Amplified Bible means removal. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer him as a sin offering. So that's the offer through fire. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel or removal shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over him, that he may be let go into the wilderness for Azazel. So, this word Azazel means goat of departure. It actually means scapegoat. That is where our word comes from. So, in Hebrew, the word Ez. The first part of that azazel comes from S, that is goat, and the rest of the word the azazel is to let go. And this word means entire removal. So there are two goats then. The first one, the burnt offering, is done to clean us. That, that's got a cleansing um, purpose. So that's the burnt offering, and the blood is sprinkled to clean. And the second one is sent away in the wilderness forever, to be forgotten forever. So all the sins disappear. All the sins, actually the word is evaporate. That's just taken away. So in verse 15 and 16, um, the Lord said, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that's for the sins of the people, and bring its blood within the veil into the Holy of Holies. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the, and before the mercy seat. Then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the Israelites and because of their transgressions, even all their sins. And then Aaron should take the next goat and he should put both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the Israelites all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat. So that's the scapegoat, the sin bearer, and send him away into the wilderness. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You shall be clean. So luckily then, Jesus came. Jesus came um, As the complete sin offering for our sins. And you will see that I'm only going to use two scriptures in Hebrew 9 and 10. But these are the most beautiful part in the Bible to read about Jesus becoming our sin offering. So in Hebrews 9, it starts to say, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So then verse 12, Jesus Christ went once for all into the holy of holies of heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves, by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood, having found and secure a complete redemption and everlasting release for us. Then verse 24 and 25, For Christ has not entered a sanctuary made with human hands, but he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And nor did he enter into the heavenly sanctuary to offer himself regularly again and again. He has once for all appeared to put away and abolish sin by his sacrifice. So God has instituted this day, Then Jesus came and he perfected this day. So what is the depth of Yom Kippur to us? It means that whatever we have, whatever we have done, the Lord says, I clean you, but also I take it away forever. It is a total removal. It evaporates forever. So I would like to share with you the depth of this day. So Yom Kippur is a day of return, of regret, and of reconciliation. It's also called a day of repentance. And this is where Arthur's word was actually amazing, because he didn't know what I was preaching about today. And this is his word that the Lord said, that this is pleasing to me if you repent. So the word repent Um, in Hebrew means to turn back. It means you walk and you actually turn back. But it also means to turn back again. So you've walked and I've turned back, Lord, in the past, but I'm turning back again. And in Greek, it means that you're changing, you're turning back, but in terms of your mind and in terms of your purpose. So you adjust. So there are two different meanings, actually, in this one word. And then there's a lovely word in Hebrew for repent, and it is gevar, and it means that water is coming from heaven in liquid drops. And it's exactly what's happening outside now. And while I'm talking, may the Lord's Holy mm-hmm. Spirit just come down from heaven in liquid drops of all of us. It's also a day of contemplation and reflection you know, we are so busy and we have so much to do that we hardly have time to contemplate, to just reflect on what did I just say? What have I done yesterday? How 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 did my week look like? What's this pleasing to God? And it's a day of purification, of just going to the Lord and saying, just, Lord, just purify my heart, my inner self, my being. It is only you who know who I am and how I look like. And also a day of self-examination, and that's your conscience, to say, Lord, have I done something wrong to you or to somebody else? It's therefore very much private introspection. It's done with you and the Lord only. Um, and then it becomes private prayer. So I have a private prayer of just focusing on the Lord. Just, and that's why the Lord said it should be a Sabbath. Um, and also personal revival. So revival means that we are actually changing, that we're becoming new, um, that we ask for his power. And now with the aim of Pentecost, um, with the days running on to Pentecost, I've been um, reading such a lot about the power of Jesus and that is why we have Holy Spirit. is giving us this power to change, to turn around, to have a personal revival um, in our hearts. And as much as it is a personal thing, also, um, it's also a day of communal connection. Because you need to make amends with your neighbor, but you're also interceding for the country and for your, for your immediate community. So, in Leviticus, the Lord also said to Aaron, it was for him, for his household, and for the whole community of Israel. So, when we do this day today, it's personal very much, because it's starting there, but it's definitely for your household, it's for your community, it's for South Africa, it's for Israel. And Corinne also shared a dream with me that she had this week about Jerusalem and about Israel. Um... So, so this is definitely on the Lord's heart that, that we turn back um, specifically to intercede um, for, for the bigger picture as well. So actually, Yom Kippur is to turn your heart to the presence of God. And that takes time. It's actually, it's easy, but sometimes it's hard work. Because you ask him to show you your own heart. So how do we celebrate Yom Kippur? So in Israel, this is the one day where everything entirely stops. So there's no cars, the shops are closed. They actually close the international airport, for the Jews that, that's huge, and their seaports. So the Lord said that it should be solemn rest. And this is actually a day of pause. And the word pause we get in, um, in Psalms, it's actually a musical term, CLR, and it means actually to stop and think about it calmly. But there's another meaning of this word, and it means actually to shake off a yoke. So when you pause, you actually say, Lord, I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking about me, my heart, but I am shaking off this yoke. It's a day of reflection. But then the scripture for this, the most lovely scripture, is Psalm 51, the scripture that David did, um, where it actually said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And he also said, wash me repeatedly, that I become a snow. That whole psalm is actually an amazing psalm to include as part of Yom Kippur celebrations. The Lord said, you must afflict your soul. And that afflict means to humble, humble your soul, to yield. But it also means to grieve. To grieve about the things that you do that you, that you know the Lord is not smiling about. And the closer you get to the Holy Spirit, the more you engage with him, the more clearly you hear him. He tells you when you say a harsh word. He warns you when you take a decision that you shouldn't take. So, so that is actually learning to, to hear him more clearly. It's then a day to ask God for forgiveness. And as I've said, to also intercede collectively. But it's also a day to correct. And I think this is, this is part of that repentance word. Is actually the word says you're turning, and you're turning again, and then you correct. So this is a day to bow. So when I prepared this, when Omu asked me, I just clearly heard from the Lord, I should do Yom Kippur. And when I prepared this, I actually spoke to Herman Spannenberg, who's also in the congregation today, who knows Israel and the Hebrew language quite well. And I said to Herman, I just feel something about the wailing wall. And that's the wall um, in Jerusalem, um, it's called the place of weeping, and after the temple was destroyed in the year of the Lord seventy, this this part of the wall remained, and to the Jews it was the closest that they get to the original place of the temple. So they would then, on a pilgrimage, go there and pray, and then they would bow. and Admon said, "This is exactly what they were doing. They bow to the Lord in adoration." And he also explained to me that something that I've learned now is in Hebrew, the verb comes first. So we say, see to me, in the beginning, we, it's in the beginning is the first verse in Genesis. We say, in the beginning, God created. But in the Hebrew, it's Bereshit. So it starts with the creation. It says, create God in the beginning. So this is very much a doing. When we, when we actually celebrate Yom Kippur, what we do is we say to the Lord, we're coming to, towards you. We're bowing towards you. We're writing our little letter and put it in that wall. And that's what the Jews do. They go to that wall and they write a little, a little card, a little letter, with, with their sins, with their requests, with the things that they, that they want, actually want to cry about. And they put it into that wall. So today I thought I would like to ask Shofar George if we could do a wailing moment. Our own Yom Kippur. And what I've done is I've listed a few things that I think is in our lives that we don't necessarily see as sin. Much of these or many of these are actually also spiritual roots for diseases. So the definition of sin in Greek is actually an archery term. It's to miss the mark. And it sounds simple, but it means it's anything you do or say or think that could alienate you from God. And I've listed a few of them, and I think I could have added 300 of them. So in my own quiet time, I just... Every day, ask the Lord, "Can you forgive me?" For example, if I've said anything wrongly to any other person that would grieve you. And this is the idea: to look at this, and every one of you would know what is in your hearts. Some of some of us um, has got something about self worth, about not feeling loved, about taking offence. So I've listed ten, and the first one. The most important one, I think, for Yom Kippur is that we so often neglect our first love. In Revelation 2 verse 4, God says, I've got this against you. You don't love me as you had in the beginning. So God is the most important in our life. So what do we do with our time, with our thoughts? What do we do with spare time? Do we neglect God? Do we love him? Do we nurture him? Do we live for him? How cold have our love become? The second one is relationship for others. And the Jews uh, talk about Erev Yom Kippur, which is the day before Yom Kippur. And what they do is they go to people that they know they, they are not in a good relationship with them. And they correct it. And this is one of the most difficult scriptures in Matthew. If you know of somebody having something against you. And you actually go to reconcile. So the second one is sometimes even more difficult than the first one. Because you've got to forgive. And you've got to reconcile. And also you've got to examine your heart. And all of us live. All of us As part of a broken world. So this is constantly in our world. And the Lord says, give it to me. Come to me on this day and just give it to me. All the interpersonal relationship trouble that you go through. All the difficulties. All the battles you fight. That's all our divorces. All our broken relationships. All the heartaches. Number three is murder with the tongue. And in James... um, he actually writes that it is a fire ignited by hell. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And we can make fun about this and laugh about it, but gossiping and slander is like murder. And cursing, the Lord's word is full of cursing. I sit in meetings and then I, I actually feel if I want to take a shower afterwards of all the curse words that people use. It's as if it's a common thing now. The Lord says, cursing, backstabbing, also the way we talk to each other. Then the next one is bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, In Hebrews it says that there's a root of resentment, a root of bitterness that creeps up and defiles um, Robert Morris is a preacher in America, and he preached a sermon where he said that he thinks bitterness is eventually the root of all roots. Um, Henry Wright wrote a book of the spiritual roots of diseases, and he said that bitterness actually has got six spirits talking to it, and those six are resentment, retaliation, and anger, and hatred, and murder and violence. So I have told this story when I preached once about an amazing pastor, he eventually had a church in Australia, but he was in America, and he had an abusive childhood. So remember, it's not his fault. It's an abusive, abusive childhood, and he went into straight off the school into violence. He got um, to use drugs, and he was actually overdosing. He went to a desert, and he just overdosed. And in this desert, his dad was very abusive, so... You know, it was a whole, a whole, um, it actually, he became his dad, kind of. And he went into this desert, and when he was overdosing, he asked the Lord, Lord Jesus. He just did that. And the Lord came, the Spirit of Lord came onto him in the desert, and he completely freed him at that moment from the drugs. He saved his life. He turned around, he went back, and he got baptized. He gave his life to the Lord and became a preacher. Later on, he found his own church. He had a beautiful wife, and he had beautiful children and Then he was actually this is now somebody's watch that i'm using sorry <laughs> um just to check my time um and actually he was he was um, he had a church in australia family and and he's got this wonderful wife and um Then he was sitting at his at his house one day. And his son did something wrong and he was passing him and he was sitting on his, on his stoop and he was actually, he got so angry, he got up and he kicked him. And he kicked his son right over the fence. And he said when he did that, he realized that it was, it was, more, it was um, more difficult to get rid of anger than of drugs. So these are the secret sins that the enemy bring on to us. And this you've got to deal with. You've got to give this to the Lord to say, Lord, I've got resentment. I take offense easily. I want to retaliate. And remember, it's all of us. We all have got the same stories. We all have got the same um, difficulties in life. All of us. Somewhere the enemy hits us. The next one is murmuring and complaining. Um, and the scripture there is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10 and 11. And the word there says, you open yourself up to the destroyer. If you murmur and you complain, you open yourself up. This is what the Israelites have done throughout the Old Testament. And how often we get to do that. We're not content with what we have, where we stay, with an amazing country, with an amazing town. We murmur, and at the end it's about God. It's to God. We're not satisfied with how we look like. Then we say, God, maybe you made a mistake here because my hair is not this great. I want it to be smaller. Or may I have blue eyes or whatever. But that's that complaining before the Lord. The sixth one is fear. And I think this is one of the the mighty weapons that Satan uses against us. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, the Lord says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is the devil's faith. And if you fear, your plan is playing ground. The antidote to that is trust, complete trust in the Lord. And people fear buildings, they fear airplanes, they fear one another, they fear man, they fear abandonment, they fear rejection. They stress Yeah, you know, all of us. It's in the same boat with this. And this is also something that only the Lord can deliver us from. Um, Seven is dishonesty. And I couldn't believe when I read the scripture in Joshua 7, verse 11, where the Lord actually said, Israel has stolen and lied. And in the Afrikaans, they use the word lich, which is just such a strong word. I should have thought it york, but it's absolutely a strong word. It's stolen and lied. And that is a very much broader term. This is, um, it's got to do with being honest in exams. It's got to be honest when you do your tax When you speak to people, you don't want to take that call say I'm in the shower. Small little things. But it becomes a culture of dishonesty. And then if we don't keep to the speed limit, we drive over all the circles in town. Instead of going around, we just push over. So it becomes a habit. And, And the root of this is actually the breaking of rules. Number eight is envy and jealousy. Artie Kendall wrote a book about it and he said... Basically, everybody has got this. And actually, envy means that you would like to have something that somebody else has. Rebellion is, the Lord said, as as witchcraft. And there's a whole we can do a whole sermon on that. That's when you say, Nobody will tell me what to do, I will decide. And at the end, there's a lot of rebellion towards God. For things that you think you should have had or things that you think you should have not done. And at the end, the unbelief. That we, we say we believe, but we don't really think the Lord will come through for us. We don't really think he will heal. We don't really think he will protect South Africa from a fall.